Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Citadel Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Fleming, comedian extraordinaire. I got to pump myself up because the audience sure doesn't when I make jokes and they don't laugh. And I'm joined by my illustrious co-host. That Josh sounds Lucero. good. That one feels right. I can take illustrious. Yeah. That's a good win. I'll Josh, take illustrious today. Who are we joined by today? Because there's going to be a certain point where I'm going to ask questions that pertain to things I like. And then once those questions are done, I'm really not going to understand much of what's going on, but I'm going to try my hardest. Yep. As we kind of previewed on the last episode, uh, if you've been listening to us for as long as we've been talking about some of those really large data breaches mm -hmm. um, right around March, um, you probably heard us talk uh, a bunch of times about a, uh, a resource called Have I Been Pwned? Um, that's that website that you can go and you can kind of check your information, check your business's information and see if you are appearing on any of the um, big dumps, big data breaches that are that are out there. Um, the the creator of that, also a Microsoft MVP, also a guy who has been working for, I'm going to say, over a decade to kind of tighten DevOps and DevSecOps and security personnel, a guy who is building bridges between people who typically argue. Uh, we've got Troy Hunt with us. Troy, say hi to our audience. Hey, guys. How's it going? Yeah, right on. <laughs> it's going pretty well. Yeah. yeah. Super excited to have you on the podcast. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that we want to get into, but... Um... But I'll take it away first because I'm a man of habit. Mm -hmm. And since I am a man of habit, there's one question when we interview our guests that I got to know the answer to, and it helps make a snap judgment about you as a person. Troy, what is your favorite dinosaur? T-Rex. Oh, immediately. No hesitation. <laughs> T-Rex right out the gate. All right. Now, I, I just got to know a little bit of why, because that's like the general dinosaur people go with is T-Rex. Is there a reasoning behind T-Rex or it's just the one you thought of first? I think it's just the infamy, you know, like it's the I mean, who's going to pick that, that big plant eating thing? It's just boring, right? Like, give me some of the big claws and big teeth, you know, it'll be either that or, or Velociraptor. And I don't even know about Velociraptors because I've watched Jurassic Park. <laughs> so oh, otherwise, okay. it would be like... T-Rex, I think. T-Rex is a solid choice. The Jurassic Park Velociraptors are not accurate to real Velociraptors. Real Velociraptors are the size of turkeys, but the ones in the Jurassic Park, they were actually modeled after Deinonychus, which is a very similar dinosaur. The only reason I know that is because as a child, I had a lot of time on my hands. And that's really the only question I had prepared for you. I'm going to go down the route of like, what's your favorite color and stuff, but you have so much more knowledge than these simple questions than I've got. So I'm just here for the the comedic joining in and the voice of the audience when I'm like, hang on, you two, what are those big words you just said? <laughs> <laughs> Troy, I, I don't know if there is a name that is more synonymous with uh, password security right now on the internet. Um, one of the things that people reach out to Citadel for all the time is some better tips for passwords. And, and I've heard you talk at length um, in, in a keynote about replacing the O in password with a zero because that's how you prevent <laughs> the bad guys from knowing what your password is. If you've got any like just real quick, simple tips that you could throw out for having more secure passwords for somebody who's who's running a business, we would love <laughs> to start out with that. So I shared a piece from the National Cybersecurity Center, which is like the, the UK's you know, cyber government arm. Uh, this was only a few days ago. And they wrote a, a piece saying, look, really what we'd prefer people to do is just to use three words, use a passphrase, you know, three random words. And it's, it's kind of interesting because it's like flies in the face for a lot of traditional password advice where we'd say, you should have an uppercase and a lowercase and a number and a non-alphanumeric because that makes you safe. And I think what's really interesting about this whole space, and like this is something that everyone should be able to grasp no matter how technical you are, but the, the, the reason why we used to have that advice is it's like the, the more different types of characters you have, the more possible combinations you have. 
I mean, if you have you know, one position and you can only have a lowercase letter, you've got 26 options. If you can have uppercase and lowercase, it's like 52. And then as you get more mm -hmm. positions, they amplify out. And like the, the, the mathematics of this is good, but humans don't work like that. So what was ending right. up happening, and I, this was always fun. When I used to be able to travel and do talks, I'd, I'd talk in front of an audience and I'd go, imagine you go to a website and it says that, uh, that lowercase password is no good. You've got to have at least one uppercase character. What do you do? And everyone in the audience is kind of like looking around. Geez, do, do I say it first or does someone else say it first? And eventually one person's like, you capitalize the first letter. And everyone just kind of like laughs nervously because they're like, oh, they've figured it out. Oh, no, I'm in trouble now. All my passwords are gone. And, and you, you just continue this dialogue. And it's like, all right, now it says you've got to have at least one number. What do you do? And everyone looks around again. Eventually, someone's like, you put a one at the end. Oh, crap. They've worked that <laughs> out. So, And then you get to non-alphanumeric characters and it's an exclamation mark. And it's, you know, like it's it's a funny sort of story because it, it resonates with people in the same way as when you say to people, what happens if you're forced to change your password every 90 days? And they're like, well, I just increment the number at the end. And, you know, you see how high you can get over the years. And it's what's kind of funny about it is that, it, yes, it resonates with everyone, but then you sort of go, well, if if, if this is being done to make us secure, do you think it actually works? <laughs> it's like, no, it doesn't work very well. <laughs> so the, the NCSC's advice was saying, look, rather than forcing people into arbitrary password complexity criteria, give them just three words. Now, there might not be an uppercase character. There might not be a number, and the only special character might be a space. But if you were to, like, look around your room and pick three different things and just name it that – that is a much better position. And, and what's really interesting then is is just seeing that the counter arguments, people come back and go, well, you could have a dictionary of a finite list of words and then that would mess that up because you don't have many options. I was like, well, I, I, all right, do the maths on it. Like, let's imagine that there are 100 different possible words and you're choosing three. So you have 100 times 100 times 100 different possible options which is, what's 100, is that a million? It's a lot, right? Like a lot of different possibilities. <laughs> sure, yeah. When you're trying to block attacks against particularly authentication to web interfaces and you're going, look, there's a million possible options if you've got a tiny, 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 tiny word list. You know, make it a 1,000 different things you can choose from or 10,000 and suddenly your options are massive. Like no one's going to be guessing that and logging into your account, not when you have things like account lockouts and stuff like that. Long explanation, but I thought it was an interesting story as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you mentioned something that um, I think is is a pretty divisive uh, a, a divisive piece of advice, and that is spaces in a password. Um, Troy Troy is a really good uh, follow on Twitter because um, he's got no shame in exposing people who have poor password complexity requirements. Um, uh, but my my question is sometimes when we when we coach people on including things like a space, which um, I, I'm sure you 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 have this information already, but an analysis was done on about 10 million passwords that were in the Have I, Pwned, Have I Been Pwned database. It was by one of your um, contributors. I forget which one. And um, they found that the least occurring uh, characteristic in this 10 million sounds like a huge sample size, but in the billions of records, uh, probably not a huge slice. But but the space was the least occurring character that was in those those passwords. So we were thinking, if you're a bad guy and you're trying to crack as many passwords as you can in a short amount of a time as you can, you're going to write whatever tools you're using, whatever rainbow tables you're using, are, are, are not going to include that character. 
Hearing that piece of advice that we've given, do you think that we're onto something here or do you think it just doesn't matter? Longer is better and you got to go towards longer. Well, firstly, I think I just don't have shame about shaming other countries because I'm in Australia and we're like founded by criminals anyway. It's like, you know, what are you going to do? Send me, send me to Australia. <laughs> so there, there is a okay. So most of these organisations are in the US, followed by Europe, and there is a little bit of safety by distance. It's like, what are you going to do? Like, come after me in Australia because I shamed you for not allowing spaces or something. I think a on a more serious note with the spaces and the brute forcing and everything. I, I think it's. We almost come about this the wrong way, or it's like, how many guesses would it take, or how can it? Like, let's look at the at the places where we're worried about passwords being guessed, and and there's really sort of two scenarios here we're concerned about. So one I touched on before. So you have a web interface somewhere; it has a login page. You're used to entering a username, password, clicking submit, and it makes an HTTPS POST request with that data in there, and someone is trying to guess what your password is. Now, the, where we most frequently see this form of attack is in credential stuffing. So this is attackers taking great big lists of email address and password pairs from all sorts of other data breaches. And there are lists out there that are literally billions of pairs. And then they're throwing them against the web interfaces. They're not trying a billion combinations for one person. They're trying one or two or three from other places against that one person. And then they're doing it from different IP addresses against different accounts. It's something that's very, very hard to defend against without having usability problems and showing up catches and things. So w when you think about that scenario, it's like, okay, well, what, what are we actually worried about here? It, it, it's not so much the fact that you might or might not have spaces, it's the fact that you've used that password somewhere else. And, and the reuse issue is, is the heart of it. it. It's not how many character types and the sort of thing you've got in there. It's do you have a prevalence somewhere or, or a precedent somewhere of your email address appearing with a password that's then been used in this other service which is under attack? So it's kind of scenario one. Don't reuse your passwords. And also services being resilient to things like credential stuffing attacks. And then scenario two is where we're saying, well, all right, what happens when there's a service that's had a data breach. It's in Have I Been Pwned Now? Someone sent me all the data and there are a million accounts in there and there are a million passwords and they're all hashed. And the only way you get to figure out what the hash is, is you've got to brute force it. You've got to pre-compute hashes somewhere locally on the machine and then compare them to the ones in the hash and say, or the data breach and see if they match. And, and now we're talking about someone getting, depending on the hashing algorithm, if it's like MD5, you know, billions, tens of billions of guesses per second at someone's password. Totally different scenario. Now, that that's kind of interesting because in many ways it's, it's the same situation. It's like, all right, well, if you guess someone's password, if it's isolated to this one place and they haven't reused it anywhere else, then not only is it isolated to this one place, but the attack has already got the entire database. Like that, that service is already having a bad day, you know, because it's not just the passwords. It's, yeah. it's the dates of birth and the phone numbers and depending on the nature of the service, what your fantasies are. We've seen data breaches like this. So <laughs> that's already bad news over there. And I, and I guess that the point with this is, is that I care much less about the composition type and the characters and all this sort of thing than I do about the uniqueness. So this is why we sort of come back to that NCSC advice again. It's like if we can do things that encourage uniqueness, that solves a whole bunch of problems, much more so than the range of character types. Okay, so who's to blame when when a business uses like a nine-character password that's got that first letter capitalized, there's a, a vowel that's replaced with a, with a number, and they've got, you know, an exclamation point at the end. 
when when that little password meter says it's green, this is a secure password. Who's to blame? Is that is that the consumer who doesn't know enough about password security, or is the is the real culprit the these websites who when they're enrolling their information and they're trying to you know grease the world the wheels as much as they can for people getting in, um, giving somebody this sort of false sense of security about the security of their password. Who wh- where do we where do we ascribe um, uh, the most value in someone becoming um, a little more with the times. I, I think there's sort of two parallel subjects here, and I've written a little bit both of them before. One of them is password strength meters that tend to be absolutely horrendously terrible, and I would love to get rid of them. I, rem- I remember where I was in <laughs> Europe like five years ago, and I wrote this blog post about these strength meters are just terrible. And you see the things where it's like you add one character, and now it's going to be a thousand years to crack, and then you add one more character, and now it's a trillion years to crack. And you're like, well, unless someone's used that somewhere else before, and that's literally one of the passwords in the dictionary, in which case it might be one second to crack. So I think we have a a massive false sense of security by password strength meters, particularly because they usually just fall back to looking at composition as opposed to uniqueness. So one of the bits of Have I Been Pwned, I've got to see how many I'm up to now, actually. There's a little feature in Have I Been Pwned called Pwned Passwords, which is just about to tick over a billion queries a month where websites sort of tie this in to see uh, at the point of registration or login or password change, has this password been seen before? And there's like 630 million passwords uh, in Have I Been Pwned from that. So this is a really good way of saying rather than just arbitrary composition criteria, uh, is it unique? Because we, we sort of keep coming back to this. Oh, look at this. I'm at 976 million, uh, 940,000. I'm very close to a billion. That excites me a lot. Anyway. So <laughs> there's, there's that. <laughs> yeah, just go ahead and just, just easily drop that. Like, hey, I'm close <laughs> to a billion. Just want to, I'm excited. I want to let you guys on the other end know how close I am to one billion. That's insane. It's For, amazing how what popular are you gonna do stuff with... can get if you just make it free. <laughs> Give it away. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, what are you going to do when you cross that billion uh, threshold? What, are you going to throw a party? Uh, what you, how are you going to celebrate? Start counting under a trillion or something like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that will be another another milestone. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that look, that's part of it. But the, the the other thing I've written a lot about is that things like passwords are a shared responsibility. So I I sort of dislike the assumption that it's like whose responsibility is this? Like, should the website operators have gotten it right, or should the user have gotten it right? And every time I say that there's any responsibility whatsoever on the user, people go, well, you can't say that. You're victim blaming. And I'm like, <laughs> but it's but it's partly their fault. <laughs> the victim is partly to blame. And I hate the term because it it has origins that are much more around things like sexual abuse, which is just a totally different can of worms. It's got nothing to do with choosing poor passwords. So stop saying that, please. Everyone says victim blaming. Because what I'll hear is someone says, when you say to someone that they shouldn't have chosen a password like that, it's like saying you shouldn't have gone out wearing that. And it's like, no, it's not. It's not like that at all. This is this is ridiculous. <laughs> what world are you living in? The, the reality is, is that we all get to take decisions about our security posture, which either improve or weaken our defences. Uh, I turn on two-factor authentication on all my things. That's a pain for many other reasons, but from a security perspective, it makes it better. If I was to use the same terrible password everywhere, then that weakens my security posture. So I have that mm-hmm. control myself. That's my decision to make. In parallel to that, the websites need to help us make good decisions. We just discussed the password strength meters are usually terrible. 
The other thing is we've got to do better as website operators is we do need to be more resilient to credential stuffing attacks. And, and this is a hard problem because what we're saying here is that if you run a website and someone comes to your website and they have the right username and the right password, but they're not that person, you shouldn't let them in. So, gee, that's that's tough. Oh, yeah, and also you shouldn't make life a misery <laughs> trying to log in. You right. know, you shouldn't have to send an email every time or an SMS or give them a capture. So how are you going to do that? That's a hard problem. But it is a shared problem, and this is really the point. It is the, the I guess is for whichever one, the Chrome browser when it's like, use this suggested password. Is that a good direction to move in? Is using the... Like, here, use this. We're suggesting that you use this password when you click to start an account somewhere. Well, it, it does satisfy the uniqueness criteria. And, and that's, okay. a, you know, as we've discussed, that's an important part of it. Um, and, and what I, I think we've got to look at is, is not to look at every solution in isolation and say, is this good or bad? But we've got to look at sort of the spectrum, right? So I'll give you a good example of like looking at the spectrum and looking at things holistically. Um, I often get people tweet me links to password books that you can buy in a store. It's like a physical notebook. And they tweet this and they're like, ha Troy Hunt, look at what I just found. It's not even encrypted. And, and I'll be like, well, <laughs> okay, but let's let's put this in, in the spectrum. 90% plus of people are using the same one, two, three terrible passwords everywhere. They store it in their head. If there's one data breach that exposes that in one place, it becomes a skeleton key to just about everything they have online. Now let's imagine you have the book. You go and get the book from the store, and then for every website you create an account on, you write down, so let's say per the NCSC's guidance, a three-letter password, or three-word password, sorry, so three random words, and you write that, and everyone's unique. How does that change your security posture? Well, to begin with, there's no more credential stuffing, so no one can get your password from one data breach and then start to log into other things. It presents a risk. The risk is, is that all your secrets are in a book and anyone who has the book can log into your things. But now you're not worried about some kid in his basement in the Netherlands, like you know, hacking into your accounts. Yeah. I'm worried about someone who can get into my house. Now, when someone's in my house, I've got a lot of nice stuff in here. I've got great monitors and camera. and all. This is what they don't want the notebook because it's some drug addict who's looking at an opportunistic grab for something of value. Yeah. Plus, if they do get in and they take it, I can see that it's not here anymore. And now I know I need to change it. That's very, very different to having an online account and not knowing that it's been breached. Uh, now, of course, at the, the, the sort of the end of the spectrum we'd really like to be at is cryptographically strong, dedicated password managers. You know, like this is this is the A game where we'd like to get people to. But that password book is so much further along the spectrum. So I guess the point is we want to sort of keep pushing people in this direction and recognizing that there are incremental steps that can make life a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to bring you back to something that you said there, uh, kind of in passing. You, you mentioned the kid in the Netherlands who's 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 hacking into these accounts. I saw a talk that you were doing, I forget where, actually, I think it was actually through the Microsoft uh, YouTube channel. Um, and I think you were discussing um, some 15 to 16 year olds who were, they were just doing SQL injection. And they were just, they had, um, I guess, a bit of information about how to kind of pull through these these PHP websites and kind of dump uh, all, the most secret things that they, that they were trying to um, protect. Um, have you... Uh, squirrel injection is what they kept saying. Um, you, you keyed in on how like how cute it is to to have have a child who is who is not even uh, doesn't even have the technical understanding to really understand like the the language 
but is still able to pull off some of the most um, compromising uh, kinds of, of, of web attacks. Um, what is the what is the most um, sort of shocking or like what's the worst story that you've heard about the bar very low barrier for entry for somebody being able to compromise um, some sort of a, a web resource? So the, 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 the thing that is uh, endlessly entertaining is to go to YouTube and look for SQL injection tutorials. And there's a lot of stuff out there by let's just say by people whose voices have not broken yet. <laughs> and yeah. to your point about squirrel injection, I remember that talk. There's a, a bit here. I show this one kid demonstrating SQL injection, but he doesn't know how to pronounce SQL. So every time he says it, it sounds like squirrel. And that the, the real point here is that this kid was able with, without even knowing what, I don't think he even knows what SQL stands for. So without even knowing that, he was able to go and rip data out of a website, which he just Googled and arbitrarily found and then used free SQL injection software to pull the information out of. And I find that absolutely fascinating that you can get a child able to do that against, if we take the case of something like TalkTalk in the UK, massive telco, they had a data reach they reckon cost many tens of millions of pounds in 2015, and it was a 17-year-old child. Yeah, someone with basically no experience in the scheme of things, but freely available tools like SQL Map, and they're, they're ripping data out. Uh, in answer to your question, there's another example I give in a lot of my workshops. Uh, if, if everyone here does a Google search for five-year-old hacks Xbox, in fact, there's a one-minute YouTube clip of a five-year-old kid in the States, and this would have been about probably six or seven years ago, uh, and he managed to get privilege escalation on Xbox because he figured out how to fat finger the controller to circumvent uh, parental controls and play games he wasn't meant to play. And this was like a legit thing too. He's on the Microsoft Security Researchers Hall of Fame. He got bug bounty and he's five <laughs> years old. And the, the, the thing that I, I think is actually, all right, it's fun and he's a really cute kid and everything. And you would be very proud as a parent too, wouldn't you? Anyway, the thing that I think is particularly interesting about this is that it, it illustrates that children can be extremely effective at breaking through systems for, for a couple of key reasons. Uh, one, they've got a lot of time on their hands. They don't have to go to work or anything like that, especially <laughs> lately. It's like they've been in lockdown. You know, what else are you going to do? But the other thing is, and this is what is, is more sort of the case in scenarios like the Talk Talk Kid, is that they don't yet have that that moral social compass of right and wrong, and they don't understand that what they do from what feels like the confines and the safety of their own bedroom has some really serious real-world ramifications. And we've seen this over and over and over again. How many times do we see, particularly when with sort of the rise of anonymous and op PayPal and all this sort of stuff, like kids literally sitting there just going, yeah, we're just going to go and start DDoSing companies we don't like. And next minute, people turn up on their door with badges. Uh, you know, <laughs> things that they can do from their own home with that false sense of security actually has really serious real world ramifications. Yeah. We've we've talked a couple of times about um, Trend Micro is faced with this interesting problem in Egypt. And in Egypt, there's not a lot of cybersecurity legislature. So these kids emerge from high school and they're faced with a career path. Do I want to go into if they have if they have, if they have a technical acumen? Do I want to go into PC support or do I want to be a, you know a server admin somewhere or do I want to um, work for a what we would call here a cybercrime ring? But there is since it's not outlawed, it's it's a legitimate business model. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that, that Trend Micro has done is they've tried to create sort of an educational environment and reach out to these kids and explain how, how they do have some real world 
um, ramifications to these kind of these these fun, interesting um, acts that you can pull on the internet. Um, but one of the things that I appreciate about your work, uh, Troy, is that you you've also heavily invested in technical education. Talk to us a little bit about um, your your experience in working with Pluralsight. Yeah, well, actually, I just had to look something up first because as soon as you started saying that, you made me think uh, that the NCA in the UK, that's the National Crime Agency there, they have uh, been running this program for some time about, uh, they call it, I think it's Pathways into Cybercrime, but basically it's it's trying to recognise that you get a lot of kids, I and mean, when we say kids, we're talking, you know, like 15, 16, 17 years old, a lot of kids there who have capability and who are smart and really switched on and they're at like this crossroads, right? And it's like, look, I, I could go this way and run that SQL injection software against this site or I, I could go and do Troy's Pluralsight courses. We'll come back to that. And I could go down <laughs> that route. How do we help just make that little correction now when it's easy and they don't have a criminal record yet uh, rather than go down the other way? In fact, they did a really, a really funny ad which um, – shows this, uh, I've used someone talks well, shows this kid's parents talking about how smart this kid is. And they're saying, wow, he's such a smart kid. Kid, he always gets A's in all these classes and look how much money he's made as well. It's amazing he can do this. And then they'd like turn the camera around and they're being interviewed by like NCA officers because obviously this kid is, uh, <laughs> is not, not really done the right thing. <laughs> so I think as, as a segue in, into education though, like, this is just such an amazing industry where you can uh, either as a child or as a senior citizen or whatever else in between, like you can sit at home and you can consume information such as on Pluralsight uh, where you, you do actually start to build up real capabilities. You can do certifications if you want to do that. You can get involved in open source projects, in forums, in conferences. There's never been a better time to do an online conference <laughs> than right now because we don't have many <laughs> options. So there are all of these opportunities out there for people to develop in this area. And I would, look, I'm an optimist, but I'd like to think that now more than ever in this sort of COVID era where, where we have to do more stuff online, the opportunities to have a legitimate career in an industry which is just massively understaffed is just fantastic. And and I, I think everyone should go and watch all my Pluralsight courses. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Before we get too far, can one of you guys explain to me SQL injection? <laughs> Because <laughs> you've been saying that several times. All right. Well, you know what a squirrel is? It's got nothing to do with that. <laughs> so I literally I looked up squirrel injection while we're sitting here because I thought that's what you guys were actually talking about. And then I typed in SQL injection and I can't figure out what SQL means. <laughs> I just want to know what you get when you look for squirrel injection now because I'm kind of. It's like rabies it's, shots, essentially. It's literally squirrels being injected. Okay. Well, that's not yes, all. Surprising. Yes. <laughs> So I'm over here like you guys are still going with the conversation. I'm still back at SQL injection. <laughs> so so SQL is, is the underlying database of, of many websites. It's structured query language. It is the, the concept of having relational tables. You know, we, we have a customer that has an address and then you can have uh, many different orders against the customer. So it's, it's a way of representing data, which has been around for many, many, many decades. I have somewhere on my shelf a learned SQL book from about 30 years ago, so it's been around <laughs> for a very long period of time. Now, uh, you go to a website, and the website very often prepares a statement, which is then sent to the database and says, look, execute this statement and get me the widget that's number five. And then you go and you click on something else on the website. You go to a different T-shirt, and that's widget number six. So the query changes to pull back something different. 
And SQL injection is when an attacker manipulates the parameters of the website. So if you look at the URL and you see all this funky stuff up there in the URL, and it's got IDs and all sorts of things. So they manipulate that in order to change the structure of the query such that it returns data that is not meant to. Uh, so for example, rather than returning the name of the T-shirt, it returns the value of the password field. And I, I guess what's really interesting about this is that, that the reason it's such a, a prevalent attack is that there are lots of tools around that just automate this. So in things like my workshops and Pluralsight courses, we go into the mechanics of like, how does this actually work? And we follow the flow of manipulating a parameter to the web application, concatenating strings to it going to the database and raising errors and all this kind of more technical stuff. But if you're a kid who knows how to download freely available software, you don't have to understand any of that. I did, um, I've done a few talks where I've had my son demonstrate how to how to do SQL injection. Now he was seven when we started doing that. <laughs> In fact, I've got a video online. So if you Google like Troy Hunt's son SQL injection, there's one where he was only old enough that he could just hold the mouse. And I'm like, you can hold the mouse, mate. You're ready for this. You're fine. <laughs> because all he had to do was run this free SQL injection software, like fire it up, go to a website, copy the URL, paste it, job done. And it's easy to find websites that are vulnerable to this. So that the problem with SQL injection is, is a combination of, of prevalence and very, very minimal technical knowledge required to exploit it, and then the impact afterwards, because the impact is all the data comes out. Interesting. My, I thank you for explaining that to me. And my mother, who listens to this podcast, also thanks you for breaking it down. Because at this point, she's like, I was also wondering about SQL injection. Thank you. Now okay. I get it. Yeah, so uh, quick plug for for Pluralsight. All of all the choice, all the Pluralsight courses are great. Choice courses are, are are no exception. We regularly brush up against people who are asking us, "What's the best way to um, get into cybersecurity? How can I build those skills without necessarily having that role yet, without having the experience for somebody to uh, roll the dice on me uh, under under their employ?" And um, the CEH courses that that Troy Hunt has kind of put together, um, they're they're all excellent. We've sent a couple of our Ours, back when we were working for the bank, we sent a couple of uh, folks through those courses. Can't speak highly enough about Pluralsight. And it's cheap. It's super cheap to uh, the, the subscription to all those courses. Yeah, I, I, I haven't looked for a while, but I think it's like 30 bucks US a month, and then you just get access to everything, and you can just consume as much as you want. Uh, and look, I mean, I've used it a lot myself. If there's a new technology or something I want to learn, I just go, okay, cool. I'm just going to sit down and, and start doing this course bit by bit. And um you know, look, they're, they're great in terms of the content they create, and that's they've made a fundamental difference to my life, being able to sort of go independent initially solely because of, of the uh, the fact that I get paid royalties for creating content, which is great. So it <laughs> yeah. gave, gave me a wonderful life that has allowed me to do all this other stuff now as well. Okay, so your pivot to um, kind of going outside the corporate uh, world. Um, Troy, one of my favorite talks that you've done is called Hack Your Career. And you spend a significant portion of that talk talking about riding a jet ski to work. Is this still happening? Are you still, uh, is your commute still on the back of a jet ski? <laughs> well, I, I think my commute to work is is usually like I walk from the room over there to the room here. And I know a lot of people do that now and have done the like yeah. the last 18 months, but I've done that since, uh, since 2015. So I, I spent... I mean, I had different jobs before this, but then I spent 14 years at Pfizer. Now, everyone knows who Pfizer is now because they're making a vaccine, but I, I used to have to say, you know Viagra? Yeah, we make Viagra. We're the guys, you know? <laughs> so um, 
when I when I started there, they were a 150-year-old company. They were, I think, one of the top 10 largest by market cap in the world. By the time I left, they were a lot less. I think it's coincidental. But anyway, uh, so big company, <laughs> big company. And uh, I left there in, in 2015. And uh, I I mean, you, you would have seen it in the talk. I really, really wanted to leave there for various reasons, which I'm happy to talk more about. And uh, and then largely because of, of the royalty income I got from Pluralsight. In fact, I think I said in, in that talk, I was making twice as much money from Pluralsight, which I'd just done in my... When I say just done in my evenings and weekends, just done on every single evening and every weekend and every time I was sitting on a plane. So I've you know, worked my backside off to do it. But uh, that allowed me to go and, and do independent things. And I'd really wanted to move back where I live now, which is uh, called the Gold Coast in Australia, which is sort of a it, – it's a little bit like Southern California in terms of climate for the folks in the US. And I've not been to Florida, but I, I think it's a little bit like that in so far as a, a lot of people end up retiring there like this had that connotation but it's it's more accurately just a, like a lifestyle place yeah. so we have uh, more more waterways more canals than venice and amsterdam combined so you look at the map and it's like water everywhere so we live like on the water and i have a, a boat shed with the jet ski that i park underneath the house and then every now and then i just get my laptop and i put it in the jet ski and i go to an island i'll sit on the island and you know write my content or my emails or whatever else it may be. So I don't know if we could say like I commute via jet ski, but it sounds kind of cool. So yeah, I, I do kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <that's fair. laughs> it sounds like a dream. Um, th this is what I, what I think back to Troy, you've got, um, I'm sure you had some, some big accomplishments with Pfizer. You worked there for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Um, your the the work that you've done with Microsoft and Pluralsight, um, the resources like Have I Been Pwned and other free resources for for internet security. What what is the thing that at this point in your career you are the you're absolutely the most proud of? Look, I, I think it's look it'd be Have I Been Pwned insofar as it has the most impact. But I, I think just going back to what we we're chatting about earlier on, more specifically within there, I, I love this pwned passwords bit. So this is just the the simplest of ideas and it's okay it's not really my idea it's it's things i've taken from other places i wrote a blog post several years ago called uh authentication evolved password guidance from the modern era and it took guidance from the ncsc who i've already mentioned took guidance from nist which was around the things we discussed earlier like don't uh don't have arbitrary composition rules uh one of the things that they said is you rather than saying you know have the uppercase and lowercase and so on you should block known bad passwords from previous breach corpuses. And I thought that makes a lot of sense, but they don't give you the passwords. And I'm like, I've got a lot of passwords. <laughs> you know, I could build this thing. <laughs> so I'll build this thing. And then that was sort of a V1. And then uh, a friend at Cloudflare helped me implement a, this, this really cool anonymity model where I could have an API where people query with a piece of data to see if a password has been used before without ever actually having to tell me the password. And, and this is what's suddenly gotten masses and masses of adoption where you've got all of these big web assets around the world who query this online service now 976 million times in the last month without having to disclose the password <laughs> that's being used and they get to do it for free. And because Cloudflare helps out by providing a lot of services and massively, massively caching stuff, 99 point, I think it's about 99.5% of queries at the moment go to a local Cloudflare Edge node, which means that when one of these big services is using it, they're going to somewhere within about 10 milliseconds and they get a really, really fast response. 
And it's just a very good practical service. And I think what I'm really proud about at the moment is that not only is that almost at a billion, I don't know how many times it's actually used because all the data is free and downloadable anyway and always has been. So a lot of organisations run this independently. And then the recent announcements were there are two super cool things related to this. So one is that I just open sourced it all. So now under the .NET Foundation, home passwords sit there. It's all open source. People can go and grab all the code and they can just run the whole thing themselves if they want. And the really cool bit is that we're working with the F where? Me. Obviously, you know, it's like people reach out and they go, hey, I love what you guys do. And it's like, you know, it's just me like sitting here. <laughs> um, but of course, now there's open source. It's not just me. There are other people contributing yeah. to it. But anyway, so the FBI is now also going to start feeding data into here as well when they come across passwords that they have obtained as part of their investigations. And what I love here is like the leverage of everything. So it's like this is freely available. It's used let's round it up a billion times a month. And because the feds are now going to feed data in there as well, we're going to have 1 billion times every month where that data taken from investigations is going to have something good done with it. And, and I just love the fact that we we get that that much leverage. Like if this wasn't used that much, I'm sure the FBI would still be very nice about it, but it wouldn't have the same impact as what it does now. Uh, and I also love that we've got a we, we've got a government agency here who I think many people are probably a little bit scared of, who's like, hey, let's yeah. let's just give this stuff away for free to try and help people do better stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. So Troy, what does it mean when you say that this country is now using that uh, pwn passwords uh, feature? Talk to us a little bit about that. So there are, I think, I think yesterday was the twenty sixth country. I got a trick now, but I've got a whole bunch of different national certs around the world. I got to 26 yesterday. <clears throat> um, a bunch of national certs around the world that have access to be able to query their own domains and have it been pwned on an API as much as they want. And the, the, the genesis of this, I keep talking a lot about British law enforcement <laughs> and governments lately, <laughs> but the genesis of this was I was doing a talk in London a few years ago and it was uh, it was a user group. It was that Skills Matter in London for the .NET user group? And it was massive. There were like 200 people or something there, which is really big for a user group. And I do this talk and then this Q&A, and someone in the audience asked a question about government, and, and they, they effectively said, look, isn't the government just always trying to screw us and, like, they're always out to get us? And, like, no, you've been reading too much Edward Snowden. It's like, no, that's not, like, the entire thing. Uh, we always hear about... The, the the times where the government oversteps the boundary or does, and, and I say the government in a very generic term because we're from all over yeah. the world here, but we hear about these negative instances and we we miss all the really good stuff that's done. And, and occasionally when I'm, when I'm on Twitter and that's where you go to argue, uh, someone will, <laughs> say, will say something to that effect. And I'm like, which government projects do you think the government has done well in terms of making a difference to cybersecurity? And they're like, ah, it's like, yeah, you don't, because you don't see, this is a lot of cybersecurity in general. You don't see it when it works well. You see it when it goes wrong. You yeah. don't see it when it works well. And it's a little bit like, I'm sure you guys think that everyone in Australia gets eaten by a shark. It's not true. There are only very few what? people. But when it no. happens, it's all You've over the news. You've got to be lying to me. Come on. It's all over the news. It's like <laughs> several people have been nibbled this year, some more than others, admittedly. <laughs> There's been some bad events. But it's a very rare thing. But this is what makes the news. So with governments, when there is a Snowden-esque style event, it's like, yeah, it's all over the place. And it's it, it, 
there's a bunch of terrible stuff there, but it, it, it sort of unfairly represents the big difference governments do make to, to social security. So anyway, I was very, I thought I was very balanced, probably very defensive. And then afterwards, someone from the NCSC came up and he's like, oh, thanks, man. Like, we just don't get enough love. So we had some beers, <laughs> which is where all good projects start. And, um, and we, he sort of said, oh, look, it'd be really good to be able to get access to, uh, to, to more government information out of Have I Been Pwned. So there's always been this like domain search feature where you can say, let's say for argument's sake, uh, we would like to know who at ncsc.gov.uk has been in a data breach. And you could demonstrate that you can control the domain and then you get a list of the email addresses and the data breach they've been in. But when you're a government, you've got a lot of different departments and a lot of different domains. And we sort of went, oh, look, it'd be cool if if you guys could just get access to that information because it would help you as governments do your job better. And, and ultimately, you're out there trying to protect everybody. And... Uh, and I, I just remember him sort of saying, look, it's really hard with like paperwork in governments and money in governments and everything. I was like, all right, well, let's let's just not do any of that. <laughs> you know, no money, no paperwork, no anything like that. We'll just make the data available for free. And just to make sure that I don't get people saying that I'm providing like government backdoors, uh, I'll just talk about it publicly. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is what we've now done for 26, uh, 26 governments around the world. They uh, they get to hit an API, which is not something I make freely and publicly available because doing verification on that and then it's just a fraught with other problems. But then they get an allow list, which is like star.gov.uk, for example. So the Oz government's there, the UK government, the US government, and then a whole bunch of other governments around everywhere from like Europe to um, uh, where do I have recently? Uh, a couple of places in the Caribbean as well. Jamaica's in there. And I was like, you know, like they get it all for free, but maybe one day if I can go to Jamaica, they'll take me out and show me around. That'd be really, really cool because I'd like to go to Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's a long commute on the jet ski. So I, being, I, being fantastic at podcast research, uh, didn't do any before this. So my question is, why did you go with pwned instead of like, have I been compromised or have I been, why'd you go with pwned? What's Well, you got to remember, like, I never expected this to be successful. <laughs> so that's part of the reason. Um, also, have you tried to buy a domain name lately? It's really, really hard to get a unique name. So look, it's almost eight years ago now that, that I started this. And I, I honestly can't remember why specifically I chose that name. I just thought it would be a bit of fun. I thought some of my mates would use it. What I've found really interesting is... Uh, in times where people have said, you know, look, now that this is actually kind of a serious thing, like, yeah, do you think you should change the name to something more appropriate? And I'm like, nope, 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 not changing it. Nope, I like this <laughs> because it makes conversation just like what we're having it here. Does. And now it's quite funny when you look at definitions of pwned around the internet, the, these definitions tend to talk about have I been pwned as well? Like somehow, <laughs> you know, we're going full circle and it's like feeding itself, which I think is kind of cool. That's interesting. <laughs> Um, I think, are we at our final question? Is that where we're at? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. This is the last question we like to end with all the people we interview. What is the most impactful piece of advice that you have now? It could be life advice, could be relationship advice, work advice, whatever. Right now, what is the most impactful piece of advice that is like really influencing you? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm trying to think about something I actually want to talk about as well. <laughs> so I've had a lot going on in life lately. I, look, I, I think um, I, I think just sustaining performance and forging ahead despite 
the things that pop up in life and, and derail you. Um, yeah, there's, there's been so much for all of us going on over the last couple of years. And then I've had a whole bunch of things on the personal front as well. And the thing that sort of kept yep. me going is things like I, I do this this video every week and I have done for the last five years or something. And regardless of how much of a mess my life has been at the time or how much of a mess the world has been or how jet lagged I've been in the past, I've just, I've just kept doing it every single yep. week. Kept going, kept going. And one of the things that I find sustains me at the moment is is I just I just move on to the next thing. It's almost like, you know, in, in software, we'd say, look, if you have a bug, do you, do you roll it back and sort of undo the bug or do you fix it and roll forward? And it's like, I feel like I just keep rolling forward. And even even the last couple of days, it was just a bit of a rough week for various reasons. And I went, yeah. I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to work on one of my little pet projects, which is the most inane, pointless thing ever. It's just like a list of the world's biggest websites that don't force HTTPS. But it's interesting. And I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to pull the data together and I'm just going to focus on this and put, get the data, write another blog post. And that gets me through tough times. So, so for me, just continually focusing on something that moves me forward has been my my saviour. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great, that's I a great super answer. I like that answer. <laughs> if I had gold stars and if they meant anything, I'd give you one. <laughs> oh, cheers, mate. Thank you. You're welcome. Troy, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really, really enjoyed this this conversation. Um, any any last pieces of, of information you want to leave us uh, with? You know, we can keep up with you at TroyHunt.com. Um, again, to most of our small business owners, uh, what, what do you want to know about you? No, look, I mean, if you want to follow what I do, Troy Hunt on Twitter. You're seeing a lot of 3D printing stuff lately, a lot of IoT stuff lately. Uh, <laughs> there will be some more jet skis very, very soon, I'm sure. We're, we're in the depth of winter at the moment. It's, oh, geez, it's down to about 24 degrees Celsius today here. So, Oof. you know, Listen. soon, soon when we get back to the warm weather. Uh, See, this is sad. I'm looking at my watch. It's, it's For some reason, it's defaulted to the Tripit watch face, which says I'm meant to be going to the snow in a couple of weeks because we do have snow, except all our borders are closed. We can't go anywhere. So we're going to go into the snow. So you, you won't see snow photos in 2021 from me, unfortunately. Oh, that's a bummer. Well, thanks so much, guys. If you have a question, of course, you can reach out to us at uh, ask at citadel.com or follow us on Twitter at citadelpodcast. Um, Nate, you want to close this out? Yeah. Ba-da-ba-da-ba-ba. Hey!